Last week, we spoke about the authority that you have as a believer. And as I was sharing that message, in the middle of our message during the second service, I was down on the floor and I looked over at Jan. Many of you know her. Jan was sitting in the second or third row to my right. And I pointed to her and I said, we were talking about spiritual authority. And I said, Jan, you have spiritual authority over your grandchildren. When you pray, God hears you. And as I said that, I know what went into Jan's mind because she told me. She's got two little baby grandchildren who she takes care of a couple days a week. And I think she was thinking, well, you know, I get this opportunity to tell them about the Lord and to love them and show them about the Lord. But she called me late Sunday night and she was crying. And she said, Pastor, I just read a Facebook post. See, Jan doesn't only have little baby grandchildren. She has some grown grandchildren, one who just maybe two or three years ago got back from serving in Afghanistan, was in the military and and over there. On Sunday afternoon, he posted on Facebook, it was his birthday, he was saying how thankful he was to be alive, how happy he was, how his life was just so blessed. And this is what he said, this morning I went to church with a friend of mine and I invited Jesus Christ into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. How on earth, just this morning, I said to, just that morning, a few hours, probably at the same time, Jan, you have authority. When you pray, God hears your prayers. And that very day, that very day, her grandson accepted Jesus. Now, I I want you to hear something. Satan does not want you to know the authority that you have, and he doesn't want you to open your mouth. Jan was going to testify. I said, Jan, you got to tell people about that. And she gets sick. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Can I be honest with you? You know where that sickness comes from? That sickness is just not by chance. That sickness is not a circumstance as well. You're around somebody with the cold. I'm not thinking the devil's behind everything, but I know that we have an adversary who wants you to shut your mouth and sit down and not say anything. But today I declare to you that from this day forward, you are going to start opening your mouth and you're going to start telling people what Jesus has done. Now, here's the thing. You don't have to. Here's the reality. We don't have to let the cause, let the enemy bring sickness into our lives. We don't have to put up with the castles that he brings, with the attacks that he brings. You and I have been given divine authority that we can tread on serpents and scorpions and that we will overcome every attack of the enemy by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in our lives. Now this week, I I was trying to figure out as I was praying, Lord, how do we finish this month's series on being my witness? And I feel that God led me to John chapter 4. And if you turn there with me, John chapter 4, our title today is simply come and see. That's what I want you to remember. Come and see. In John chapter 4, there's a story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Some of you have been in church for a while are familiar with that. If you're not familiar with that account, here's what took place. Jesus and his disciples are traveling from Judea to the region of the Galilee. To get there, they need to go through, the straightest route is to go through the area of Samaria. At noontime, it's hot over there, if you don't know that. It's hot, 
There's not a lot of trees, sometimes unbearable. At noontime, Jesus was tired. They arrived at a city called Sakar, and outside of the town there was this well, and Jesus stops there and sits down to rest, and his disciples go in to get him to something to eat. As he's sitting there, a woman comes out from the town, and she draws her water from the well. When she comes, Jesus says to her, could you give me something to drink? The woman says this. The woman says, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? There was this long-standing hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. Let me give you a little bit of background about that. Because a lot of times in church we'll hear these things, yeah, the Jews and the Samaritans. uh, A lot of people will say that the division between the Jews and the Samaritans would go back the whole way back to the patriarchs. Here's where it would go back to. Who was Jacob's favorite son? Joseph. His favorite son, what did he give him? A coat of many colors. What did his brothers want to do? They wanted to kill him. Okay. It goes back that far. Now, whenever they divided up the land, the inheritance, how would you feel if they did this? Let's say you're one of five children. And when it comes time to get your grandfather, when it's time to give out the inheritance, says, hmm, I really like your brother and his kids. And so what we're going to do, your brother has two kids. What we're going to do is we're going to divide up instead of five, we're going to divide up among six. And we're going to give your brother's kids both a full inheritance as well. Those kind of things cause a little bit of, of resentment and bitterness. And so Ephraim and Manasseh were Joseph's two sons. The land that was allotted to them was a bountiful land. It was a prosperous land. Okay, It was in this region of Samaria where the land that they were allotted to. I believe it was in 720 B.C., maybe 720 or 724. The Assyrians, you remember the Israel was divided up into two kingdoms. Remember after Solomon's son was king and Solomon dies, his son becomes king. And they say to him, he's taxing the people really hard. And the people kind of rise up. And they say, we don't want to pay all these taxes. And so Solomon's advisors, who were more experienced, older men, they said to Solomon's son, listen, if you cut the people a break, they'll serve you all their lives. Just give them a break. Solomon's son's friends said, they're not talking to you like that. We know what we're doing. You tell them you think dad was tough. You ain't seen nothing yet. And so they increased the taxes on them. And what we find is that the kingdom was divided between the northern and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was known as Israel. The southern kingdom was known as Judah. And the southern kingdom had Jerusalem, which was where the temple was, which was where they went to worship. The northern kingdom never really had throughout their history a godly king. Okay, Throughout their whole history, they had ungodly people. We find that they were attacked. Okay? The northern kingdom was attacked by the Assyrians. You ever hear of a place called Syria? Huh? May I suggest to you about something? When you have a problem in your life, when the enemy has something 
against you or something he holds on to you, you need to take care of it once and for all. If you don't deal with it, your children and your grandchildren are going to oftentimes have to deal with the same thing. So aren't you glad today that God has the power to break the chains off of us and it does have to apply to our children? God can break things off of our lives that our children and our grandchildren never, ever have to deal with. And so the Assyrians attack them, they beat them, and they end up carrying away a large portion of the population. They carry them away into captivity. What they do then is they bring people from other nations. There's four other regions that they brought people from. And they colonized the area that we know as Samaria. Okay? They colonized the area. And so what happens is you have these Jewish people who foreigners have come into their land. And they bring with them their worship, their idols, their way of thinking, okay? And so the Jews who are left there do, is before long they kind of get accustomed to it, and they add their teachings, and they add their worship to the worship of Jehovah, okay? And so they, you know, they kind of have this kind of weird, twisted theology, as it were. They just kind of add other things to their worship. Because the temple was in Judah, they set up first at Shechem, And then at Samaria, as their capital for their nation, that's where they would come and worship oftentimes. The southern kingdom, or Judah, about 600 B.C., they were defeated. And they were defeated by the, anyone know? Where was Daniel carried off to? Babylon. Some of you should watch Veggie Tales. Huh? Oh, no, what you going to do? The king likes Daniel more than me and you. We've got to get him out of here. Okay, so those of you who watched VeggieTales as kids, you know that they were carried off to Babylon. And they spent how many years there? Seventy years in captivity in Babylon. But then God released them and delivered them. And he sent back about, I think it was 43,000 Jews came back to rebuild Jerusalem and to work on the temple. Okay? And so they carry with them the people in Judah, they look at the Samaritans and they have this resentment towards them. It goes back and forth because they're saying, we worship the one true God and you Samaritans, you're all screwed up in your theology. You're messed up. And so this is the people, when this woman hears this and sees Jesus, she's really surprised that it will have anything to do with her. She's like, you, you want me to give you a drink? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't get along. You people don't like us, and we really don't care for you too much. She's surprised that Jesus has anything to do with him. Can I say this to you? And if you write anything down, just kind of jot this down in your mind. There's a lot of people today who are surprised that Jesus wants anything to do with them. They think Jesus is for somebody else. Not that they wouldn't be interested in him. You need to hear this. It's not that they wouldn't be interested in him. But they think, why would Jesus want anything to do with me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know about my past? Don't you know about my family? Don't you know about these mistakes? And so they say to these people, this woman, she's surprised 
that Jesus wants anything to do with her. And so as a church, I think it's really important that whenever we look at people around, we need to convince them. We need to assure them. The church, the body of Christ, is made for you. Well, wait a minute. I have all this stuff. I got all this. It's it's fine. Jesus wants a relationship with you. He wants to interact with you. He wants to know you. In John chapter 4, verse 10, that's kind of builds up this point. She's surprised. And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he had given you living water. Here again, there's some things that we need to understand. In that region of the world, very arid place, part of their reason for worshiping other gods is because they were fertility gods. And they thought, well, I'll worship Jehovah. But I might also worship some of these other gods just to cover my tail, as it were, in case it does work, and God sends rain. Because rain was a sign of blessing. And without the rain, their crops died. Without the rain, they starved the next year. Do you understand that? You know, you just didn't walk down the street to a Poland Springs. and You, you know what I'm saying? You didn't have a, lot of, a whole lot of springs around there. It's a very dry and arid place. And Jesus, so Jesus, when he talks about this living water that's very real to her, notice all she had to do, if you're jotting other things down, all she had to do was ask. Jesus said to her, if you knew who it was you're talking to, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. All you have to do is ask. Elsie told me that had been coming to her mind this week. It happened to me several times as I was praying and in devotions. The scripture that says this, you have not because you ask not. So what is it that you have need of today? All she had to do was ask. What do you have need of today? Do you need peace? Ask him. Do you need strength? Ask him. Do you need wisdom? Ask him. Do you need a friend? Ask him. Do you need deliverance? Just simply Ask him. That's what Jesus said. If you knew who it was, you would have asked. I would give it to you. The Bible says, ask and you shall receive. And so as believers, we have this divine authority that we can ask in Jesus' name. We don't have to beg. We don't have to plead. We can simply ask in his name and he'll do it. The woman doesn't necessarily understand. And she says, he says about living water. And she's like, well... The well's deep, and you don't have anything to draw with. How are you going to get me this living water? And Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become to them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman tells Jesus that she'll take some of that water, so she won't have to keep coming back to the well. And then Jesus tells the woman, well, go back and get your husband and then come back to me. That phrase was like something right to the heart because that was something she was dealing with. She didn't have a husband. She had five ex-husbands. She's living with the guy. See, that was probably her area of brokenness. You know, we all, people have areas of brokenness. People have areas of need. People have areas in their life where they feel overwhelmed by. They have their history, as it were. And Jesus speaks directly to her her abuse, 
He could speak to her abandonment. He could speak to her betrayals. And he knew exactly where to touch. And he reached out and he, he spoke to her and he said, oh, go get your husband. And she says, well, well, I don't have one. He says, yeah, you're right. You had five husbands and, and the guy you're living with, he isn't your husband. And the woman is astonished because what we would say is, is she recognized that he was a prophet because he did not know her. It was a display of God's power. Can I tell you this? Today in the world that we live in, people want to see. They desperately want to see the power of God. That's why people are calling into these. Remember years ago on late night television? Hopefully you didn't stay up that late. But you could call in and talk to some lady from, does anyone know who I'm talking about? She was an African-American lady. Miss Cleo. There you go. Miss Cleo. She would tell you your future. People are desperate to find out answers, to find insight. And, and they go to people who take advantage of them. And oftentimes they go to people who, if they are legitimate, they're demonic. That's not of God. People are looking for answers. They're looking for direction. They're looking to see that God is real. And what happens is we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can speak to you. And you can talk to someone, someone you're working with, someone at the store. You don't even have to know them. But if you listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, he will direct you to say something to somebody, to talk to them, to call them, to reach out to them. You'll say, I can't tell you how many Hundreds of times I've said to people, I don't know why I'm saying this, but... And as I start to say it, their eyes pop open real big, and they're like, what is that? That's a word of knowledge. It's a word of wisdom. That's the Holy Spirit that speaks to us. And they'll say, Pastor, it was as if you read my mind. I can't read your mind. I don't know what's in your mind. But the Holy Spirit will work through you. He'll impart words of wisdom or words of knowledge that you can speak to things. And that's exactly what happened. This woman was astonished. When Jesus did that. But then she starts to talk about, he was really reading her mail. And when that happens, here's one of the tendencies of people. One of our tendencies is to try to get away from that. Especially if you touch a place in a person's life that's tender. I'm not ready to talk about that. How do you know I was sexually abused? I don't want to talk about that. How do you know I was abandoned? How do you know I've struggled with this temptation? How do you know I've been battling these thoughts lately? How do you know that? And so a lot of times people want to get away from that. And she tried to change the subject. And she says, well, tried to kind of redirect it. And she says, you Jews say that we should worship in Jerusalem. Our ancestors say we should do it on the mountain. And there again, just kind of redirecting things. The enemy likes to get people confused and keep them focused upon their confusion and the things they don't understand rather than drawing near to God. You can never go wrong by drawing near to the Lord. She concludes her statement with saying, when the Messiah comes, and I'll paraphrase it, when the Messiah comes, he'll work all of this out. He'll explain things to us. And Jesus' response to her is, I am he. I'm sure her eyes probably popped open. In verse 29, it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man. What does she say? Come and see. Come and see a man who told me all things, everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. 
And that is exactly the response that God is looking for. The enemy would have loved this woman. Here's the gist of our message. The enemy would have loved this woman to feel disqualified from telling others about Jesus. She knew how the Jews felt about her and her kind. She would never be able to live up. You know, there's some people who you'll never be able to live up to their standards. Things have happened in your life you've experienced that you know from the very beginning that she would never Ever, no matter what she did, no matter how hard she tried, she would never be able to live up to the Jews' stand. She was a Samaritan. She was unclean. She just knew she would never be able to live up to their standards. Yet that didn't stop her. Her life, she could have said, I've been married five times. My life's complicated. It's, I'm living with the guy. Maybe we have a child together. Things are messed up. Let me get that squared away. My family's just a mess. Let me get that squared away. No, that didn't stop her. I don't have all the answers concerning spiritual things. People are going to ask me questions, and there's things I don't know the answers to. That did not stop her. Well, maybe I should wait to get more experience or a better education. No, she left her water jug and started inviting people to simply come and see. Now listen to this in verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to him, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields that are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage in the harvest, a crop for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper, listen to that, the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps is true. And here's what I want you to underline in your Bibles. This is to the old, if you're an old time Christian, if you've been serving God for a while, and I'm going to say more than like a day, Okay, this is for you. This is what he says. He says, I've sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. The disciples want Jesus to eat, but he loses his appetite for food. Let me ask you, have any of you ever gone fishing on a boat out into the ocean or to the bay? How many people? Okay. Now, did you ever notice when you're out there, if you don't have a good covering, It gets pretty hot during the day. It gets hot. The sun beats down on you. You notice that when you're out there, you get thirsty. And you get hungry when you're out there. What I've noticed is this. That when you're out there fishing and nothing's happening, you get really hungry and you get hot and you get thirsty and your legs get tired and you're sunburned and you're tired from sitting because a lot of times maybe they don't have the greatest seats on the boat. But what about when a fish is on the line? Huh? When you get a fish on the line, every year, one of the folks who used to attend church here has a boat and a charter thing, and he takes me and my brother and Dave. We go out and we go fishing. When there's a fish on the line, you forget about everything else. And even if you're not the one, even if you're not the one reeling it in, when there's a fish on the line, it's like 
You're not drinking. You're not eating. Everybody is watching. You lose sight of everything else when there's a fish on the line. How about you guys who hunt? We've probably got maybe some deer hunters here. And you ever notice when you go out in the woods and you're sitting in a tree stand, your legs are cold and your toes are cold and your fingers are cold. After you sit for a while, you get cramped up until you hear that rustling and the leaves. And here comes a buck. You're not thirsty. You don't want coffee. You don't want that cupcake. Usually when I go deer hunting, I would usually eat everything by 7 o'clock. I mean, I'd, eat, I'd, have the, I'd drink half the coffee. I'd have a couple sandwiches. My donuts and all that stuff. And, you know, I'm like, well, I don't know what else I'm going to do the rest of the day. I sure hope some deer come by here. But whenever you hear that deer and you get him in your scope, you're not hungry anymore. Can I say this to you? Whenever you as a believer get back to the purpose of what you were created for, you've been saved. You've been sanctified to bring other people into the kingdom of God. If you are not on task, we get resentful towards others. We get angry with others. We say how rough the sea is that day, how sunburned we are, how tired we are. And you're just miserable to be around. I'm sorry. We're miserable to be around. When we lose our focus, but when you get one on the line, it changes everything. It's like, I'll stand out here for another three hours and waiting for the next one to bite. I'll stay out here. I'm, you know, you're about ready to give up. You're about ready to quit until you get one on the line. You're saying, well, let's stay a little bit longer. We stayed out 4 o'clock in the morning, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning fishing. It came in. It was completely dark. But we, you know, you guys, you know, the, the captain, he's like, you guys want to go? No, we're good. We're good. The fish were biting. We wanted to stay. We could get one more of these fish. You know, you can get so many of them, our limit. And we wanted to get that one. And as a believer, whenever our focus is upon souls, when we see new people being brought into the kingdom of God, it revolutionizes the atmosphere. This is why we do this. Not just for me to be happy, not for me to have a nice, clean boat, not for me to have a bigger boat than the next day. It's not that. But when you start seeing people come into the kingdom of God, you say, that's why we live. That's why we breathe. That's why we do everything we do. And it's all worth it in those times. I want to say something else to you. What satisfied Jesus was to do the will of the Father and complete the work. I want to say this to you. There are some people here today who you will lose your desires. I want to speak to people who you're a Christian, you have Jesus in your heart, but you struggle with besetting sins. There's certain things that you keep getting beat on. There's certain things that you keep feeling like, you know, you do good for two weeks, you do for, for a month, you do good, and then, then this besetting sin comes, and, it, and it's almost like it just takes over. And that's why, that's one of the reasons why Satan wants to keep your mouth shut. He makes you feel you're not worthy to tell people about Jesus because you have this thing that you haven't been able to overcome yet. Okay? And so he uses that against you. Can I tell you this? When you get your focus... You will lose your desire for earthly things as you see the harvest coming towards you. I want to say that again. Some of you who struggle with, you struggle with some things that almost like kind of entice you and pull you away. When you see the harvest coming towards you, you start to lose your desire for earthly things. Jesus said this. 
He told his disciples to open their eyes and look at the fields. They were ripe for harvest. Perhaps the disciples, they probably didn't think it was going to be the Samaritans. Oh, they said to one another, why is he talking to her? What's he doing? Doesn't he know she's a Samaritan woman? Why is he talking to her? And Jesus says, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. A lot of times people think they're seeing waves of grain flopping down, amber waves of rain. That's what they go, okay, it must have been harvest time. Can I tell you what they saw in the fields? When they lifted up their eyes and looked at the fields, they saw Samaritan people from that village coming from the left and coming from the right as a result of what that woman's testimony was. You see, when she opened her mouth, The scripture says that the people said, we've believed because of what you have told us. We heard your testimony and we believe. Can I say to you today that there's people here, if you will speak out your testimony, there's people who will believe upon Jesus simply because they hear what he did for you. Crazy thing is, those of you who have been healed, we have people here who have been healed from cancer. Kylie, stage four cancer. She was down to 80 pounds. I mean, it was terrible. When she tells people about how Jesus is, she wasn't supposed to have kids, three little kids. Huh? Don't tell me God don't heal. And when you speak. We have people in this room that God has brought you out of addictions. He's picked you up out of the mire and the muck and set you on a solid foundation. There's people here who, you know, sometimes we're ashamed of our stories. I can guarantee you there's people in this room who've had a gun to their head. I can guarantee you there's men and women in this room who've had a gun to their head ready to pull the trigger and God intervened in their lives. There's families who your marriage should be gone, your marriage should be destroyed, your relationships with your kids should be gone, and yet God has restored it. And there's a world that needs to hear about how Jesus is concerned about the most simplest things of our lives. They will believe because they hear your testimony. The Word says that they overcame the accuser by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. Perhaps they said to the Samaritans, they don't want anything to do with Jesus. But Jesus said, open your eyes and look. Look at the fields. They're white unto harvest. Here they come. I want to declare to you today, you know what? I believe with all of my heart, this is not some kind of hype thing. If you'll listen to me. You know, with my kids, where my, there's Landon Logan's teaching in the back. I'll say to them, if you'll listen to me, I can set you up. You know, as a parent, we have that ability. We can bless people. And because here's the thing, God's anointed me and he's given me authority in their lives. And all they got to do is listen to dad. I'll lead them in the right way. I promise you, they're going to be blessed. They're going to surpass their mom and I. God's going to use them greater than I. They're going to have a whole lot more than we've ever had. They're going to be blessed abundantly above what we are. As your pastor... God has anointed me. Now, this is what I need you to listen to this. When you walk in anointing, sometimes people think it's arrogance. It's not arrogance. There's a boldness and a confidence that comes when you walk in the anointing that God has placed on your life. I want you to hear that. I can declare to you today, I want you to hear this, that God says to this church, open up your eyes and look onto the fields because they are ripe 
for harvest. That God would say to this church, He would say to this church that He wants to flow through you. He wants to speak through you. He wants to use your life to bring other people into the... I'll tell you what, when you get one on the line. Oh, yeah. Huh? When you get one on the line. When you see one person. Listen. When you see one man or one woman who's far from God. And you see Jesus saving them. And you see Jesus changing their life. And changing their heart. And turning them around. You say, man, oh, I'm going to tell you. You think drugs are addicting? You think immorality is addicting? You start seeing people come into the kingdom of God. And it becomes an addiction in your life. And you say, God... It's like a fire shut up in your bones. Friends, listen to me. When the church starts rising up and taking their place, their lives are going to be changed. Why? Because you simply say to them, come and see. I met a man. He told me all things. Now, here's the reality. As a church, when that starts taking place, when you're catching fish, you don't got time to be complaining. You don't got time for sunburn. You'll deal with the sunburn later. You're just enjoying. That's the season. Hear me. That is the season that God is bringing us in. He says, open your eyes and look at the fields. Here they come. They're white unto harvest right now. Don't say it's four months. Don't say six months from now, eight months from now. Oh, friends, they're white. The fields are white unto harvest. You hear me? They're white unto harvest. Hallelujah, Lord. We bless you. Hallelujah, Lord. We bless your name.